So for the past five years, Sarah and I have been living in Georgia, as many of you know. And in Augusta, it's really hot. And there's something amazing about basking in the sunshine nearly every single day of the year. There's some who suffer from seasonal depression up here in the north, but in the south, it's like summer is endless, truly. And there's two seasons in the south. For those of you who have not lived there, it basically consists of two seasons. And the one season is hot, and the other season is really, 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 really hot. That's it. Two seasons in the South. I remember morning, uh, mornings I walked outside my garage and I immediately began to perspire. And I thought to myself, what is going on? I didn't even do anything. I just walked. I just walked out of the garage and psh, that's how hot it is. You know, during the winter months, the temperature drops, but there's still like 80 degree days in January and February. And often I would catch myself thinking and saying to others, I, I miss the distinct changing of the seasons in the north. I miss autumn in Ohio. I would even go so far as to say that I miss the cold and the snow. Maybe a few of you, just a few of you could relate with me this morning. You love the transformation of the seasons. Most of you love the transformations of the seasons, but you just don't know it because you haven't been taken out of them. From winter to spring and summer to fall, there's something magical about marking our days by the seasons. Maybe you're like me. You wake up some mornings and breathe in deeply of the cool, misty spring air and you think to yourself, I know this day. This day feels familiar to me. Despite having never lived it before, there's something of intimacy. You feel as if the day, that day already knows you. God loves seasons as well. He's really into seasons. The seasons were devised from his divine dream. He designed seasons to be markers, to be milestones for us. He fashioned seasons to be boundaries. Even in his arrangement of the seasons, we can see his kindness to us, even though it might not feel like that in the middle of a blizzard. His arrangement of the seasons is his kindness to us. But even so, he drafted the seasons to remind us of who he is and what he's like. Psalm 74, 17 says that it was you, David says, it was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. He's God over the summer, and I hate to break it to you folks, he's also God over the winter. He's like the frost of winter. He destroys all the enemies and pests of goodness and future glory. He's like the refreshing spring rain. He makes dead things green and new and gives life. He's like the warm summer sun casting out our fears and our anxieties in the light of his presence. And he's like the autumn harvest. He's our provision and our portion. And he gathers us into his loving embrace. 
to bring us into family. Can you tell that I love the seasons too? I'm happy to be back in the Midwest. Now we're not digging out of the snow, but Sarah and I are digging out of moving boxes at home. We're, we're sorting through all of our stuff, you know, and the house is coming together. It's turning into our home. You know, you see little photographs that, you know, hang on your walls regardless of where you live. And they're like little touchstones, like the seasons. This is our home. Today I want us to talk about the winter. And specifically that moment uh, when winter clings to its final moments and finally surrenders itself to springtime. We're about to journey the season of Lent. Lent is a churchy term. It's commonly associated with fish fries and drudgery of giving up something you really don't want to give up. The word Lent, it's it's an old English term. It's been shortened from its original word, Lenten, which actually means to lengthen. In the 40 days before Easter, what we are saying is that the days are becoming longer The sun stays in the evening sky for increasing amounts of time. It literally means the becoming of spring. It doesn't mean springtime. It means the process of becoming spring. That's what Lent means. And normally the church throughout the ages will celebrate this period of time in a way that's become sort of a drag in modern culture. It's a time where we're to be reminded of repentance and sorrow and sackcloth and ashes. During Lent, however, we as a church are going to focus on what repentance really means, which is changing our minds. We're going to focus on who we're turning to rather than what we're supposed to be turning away from. We're beginning a series today called The Expectant Path which will take us through Good Friday and culminate on Easter Sunday. And as we prayed and prepared for this series, we thought it was significant that the Lord would visit us and raise our expectations for what He would want to do in the coming months and years. You know, oftentimes we think that we have very high expectations of who God is and what God wants to do. But sadly, the opposite is nearly true nearly 100% of the time. Our expectations are not too high. Our expectations are more than not too low of a God of the impossible. We come to God with too low of expectations for what is possible, what he wants to accomplish in and through us. And that from the season of winter, we develop a longing for his voice and for his presence. And that longing would give way to celebration. There's something about dreaming in in winter that's not wasted time. The winter months are for dreaming. There's something in the hibernating months for us to catch as a community. There's something of germination happening under the surface of our lives that no one else sees. Something that's hidden but still is growing, that we would enjoy the journey, the journey of winter, to slow down during this season, 
that we wouldn't miss his voice in the dreaming months. My prayer for us is that in the midst of the piles of snow, and they will come, believe me, I'm, I'm told, I'm new to the city, but they will come. And going a little bit stir-crazy from being inside most of the time, most of the time, is that we would dream. We would slow down to ponder what might be getting ready to sprout in our lives. God is waking something up in our souls, something like how nature awakens in the spring. As followers of Jesus, we're to explore and to tend those buds of newness and hope that he's causing to grow out of the cold winter dreaming months. Let's pray together. Father, we welcome your presence. We experience your presence in worship. We're so thankful that you're not a God who is far off, but Jesus, you come to us. And you say that you inhabit the praises of your people, that you actually come and you walk in the rows and you touch people's hearts and you begin to shift and change and stir things deep in our, in our bellies, God, that you begin to change, change us. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you as a community. Would you, would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you speak through me as I should? Would you let me say something that um, is, has positive effect on people that would allow for transformation and um, shift in, in our culture? God, we want to um, be in the very center of what you have for us. I pray, God, that you would come, that you would meet people right where they are, meet people right where they're at, as you're so faithful to do. Show us your faithfulness again, Jesus. Point us back. Remind us of how faithful you've been and allow us to dream again for what's possible in the future. When we dream, God, let us dream your dreams. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so it's early winter. Not right now. But let's go back. It's early winter. Autumn's beginning to fade and Thanksgiving has come and it's gone. The seasons are shifting. Many of us dread what comes next. We've been there before. We know what comes next. Immediately we receive premonitions of spinning tires and freezing cold, and ice storms that knock out the electricity. The winter's coming. The winter's coming whether we like it or not. And the phone's ringing. <laughs> and this leaves us with the... <laughs> I'm never surprised anymore. It's just like, yeah, sweet. I just groove to it after a while, you know? You just settle into that. And that's what God is calling us to do in the early winter. He's calling us to settle in. A lot of times the early winter leaves us with the sense of hopelessness. For newcomers, the, the old comers try to give words of woe. They say, get ready. You haven't experienced snow until you've lived a winter in Cleveland. <laughs> There's a collective coming together over the hatred of winter. We can all agree at most points, we don't look forward to it. We don't look forward to the winter like I did when I was in Georgia. 
But I believe Jesus would love to speak into that sentiment. In our lives, many times we can feel like we are in the early winter. We sense that the snow and the ice are coming in our lives. The dark and the gloomy days are just ahead, and we'd better just grin and bear it. You know that one? Often we fail to see the blessings of early winter. We fail to see that the Lord has purpose for bringing about early winter. We look at our past and we think, my, my life was so much better back then. Back then in the summer when the sun was shining. Or we look around at our present situation and we think, man, what is this? Everything's dying. My hopes have been dashed. There were once green leaves, but autumn took them away. The fruit from last year's harvest has already been pressed into wine. It's no good. It's used up. We can't take it with us into the future, and fear begins to set in our hearts. The enemy introduces insecurity to our souls. And often we think about the future, and fear is knocking at the door. And in Proverbs 31, 21, we're given the picture of a godly woman. And Solomon says of her, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for her household are clothed with scarlet. What he is saying here is that the bride of Christ is not to be known as one clothed in fear. We don't have to fear the oncoming of winter. And in fact, the early winter is an invitation to settle in, settle into hearing his voice. It's a back door to Jesus' presence. The early winter is a release to our souls to slow down and to rest. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, how we prize the fire just now. How pleasant is its cheerful glow. Let us in the same manner prize our Lord, who is the constant source of warmth and comfort in every time of trouble. Let us draw near to him and in him find joy and peace and believing. Let us wrap ourselves in the warm garments of his promises. The early winter of life is a time Jesus gives us permission to dream again and to dream in the safety of indoors where the fire is already kindled. The woman in Proverbs 31 does not have to be afraid. Why? Why does she not have to be afraid? Why does she not have to worry? Well, Solomon tells us that it's because she and everyone inside are clothed with scarlet. What does that mean? Well, it means that when we put on clothes, we get warm. It's a joke. <laughs> Naked, cold. Clothes, warm. Naked, cold. Clothes, warm. Joke. Okay. But besides the obvious, that when you put clothes on, you get warm, right? Why clothes of scarlet? What's he saying here? Well, some versions render this verse to say double garments. What Solomon is saying is that she's provided for, and she's provided enough. And not just enough against the cold, but also for their delight and their fashion. Some commentators tell us that this signifies double texture. There's not just enough to keep 
warm from the cold, but then there's another layer that goes on, and that one looks good. This means that if you claim Christ as your Savior today, you are clothed doubly. You are kept warm in the early winter. What does Christ clothe us with, you might ask? When we claim Jesus as Lord, we put on all that he is. That means that if you see any compassion in the person of Jesus for others, it is now yours as a garment during the early winter. If you see any kindness, any humility, any gentleness, any patience in the person of Jesus, those also belong to you as a garment during the early winter. Now, the tr- now that truth alone is enough to change my perspective on the cold winter months. Now that I feel the warmth of putting on the presence of Jesus, I can face any snowstorm that life would throw at me. It changes my perspective on others as well. It means that if I experience the coldness of a strained relationship, I can put on Christ's kindness for that person and watch Jesus work to restore that relationship through me. It means that if I I sense any abrasive tendencies or if you experience any sort of abrasive tendencies towards your spouse, to the way you speak to or relate with your spouse, you can put on the Lord's gentleness literally as a garment and watch as his or her response toward you changes and melts away the chill of bitterness. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, identity always first, identity always first, holy and dearly loved, sons and daughters, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In the early winter, we're encouraged to settle in, not to fear it or disdain it. We're encouraged to actually look forward to it, realizing its purpose in our lives. Winter is slowing down and dreaming, and we need that, the warmth of the presence of Jesus guiding us through onto the spring when it's time to plant. It's time to work the fields. It's okay to dream. It's okay to discover. It's okay to rest. In the early winter, it's as if Jesus is saying to us, get ready. It's okay to dream because the favor I'm about to bring into your life can only be obtained through dreaming of what could be. And in order to do that, you need simply but come and rest. That's all we need in the winter. We don't need to sow. Spring is the time for planting. All we need in the winter is is just but come to him. Slow down. And Joshua and Caleb had a great perspective on the early winter. When the spies were sent out, Remember, the 12 spies that were sent out in in Numbers. Moses sends out 12 spies, says, scope out the land, tell me what you see. And they all come back. And they're like, look at this fruit, it's huge. There's like, you know, two guys carrying a bunch of grapes. They're like, it's amazing, land flowing with milk and honey. But the people there are ginormous. And the walls there are ginormous as well. And they're really strong, and we're not going to get it. And you know what Caleb says to the early winter? Caleb says, be quiet. We can take possession of the land. 
And that's what God is inviting us into in the early winter, to dream about taking possession of the land. See, in order to take possession of the land, there's got to be a dream, a God-given dream to do that first. The dream always precedes the possession. That was really good, and you need to hear that again. I wasn't planning on saying that one. The God-given dream will always precede the possession of the land. We need you to dream. In the midwinter, now we dream. Then comes the cold. We remember the hymn in the bleak midwinter. Do you know this hymn? We sing of frosty winds moaning and the earth that's hard as iron and water that's turned into stone, snow and more snow. You know this hymn? The fact is that in midwinter, nothing is growing. Nothing is moving. In the midwinter months, nearly everything is either dead or asleep. Most fish, they swim deep and they slow down. Bears hibernate. Well, bears don't really hibernate. They sleep. They, they go into what's, this is a side note. This one's free. Well, it's all free. Freely give, freely free, free, receive, freely give. Okay. Bear, uh, bears don't hibernate. They, they do what's called torbor. It's, it's like sleep, but it's not a true hibernation. So grizzlies and black bears, they aren't really true hibernators. So most everything in the midwinter is either asleep or it's dead. Trees are bare. And we too, as humans, we slow down. But though on the surface it may appear as if things are dead or asleep, there's still something happening deep down. In our lives, there come the midwinter months. Sometimes these seasons feel as if they'll never end. We can't wait for them to be finished. So we can finally get out and do something. But this time is not wasted time. This is the time for reflection and envisioning. There are some lessons that the Lord will teach us in doing, true. But there are many lessons we can only learn through dreaming and rest. The Lord loves when we slow down, when we come to him simply as we're inviting him to speak, not saying anything, simply resting and waiting to hear his voice. And when we hear his voice, we become hopeful because that's Jesus' native language. As we delight ourselves in his voice, we begin to see godly desire welling up in us during the winter. When all else seems asleep, And dead, we dream and give space to hear his voice. How many here this morning need to hear that there is space to listen? There's space to dream again. Maybe it's been a while since you've experienced the Lord speaking to your heart. Or maybe you've never experienced the Lord speaking to you tenderly of the things he has planned for you and for your community. I want to encourage you again today. Dream. Dream again. That's going to take courage, but we as a church need you to dream again for the future. We as the church need you to tune in to the Father's voice because we're all uplifted when each of us dream before God. Do you hear that? All of us, every every single one of us, as a body of, as a community of believers, we're all uplifted 
when you dream before God. You know what that means? Your dreams, you, your dreams before God matter significantly. Remember that God is the dream giver. He's the one who's initiating those dreams in our hearts and our minds. If we have any inclination to create something beautiful, if we have any desire to serve someone other than ourselves, if we have any sense of what we are to accomplish in the kingdom, that came straight from the heart of God, not from your heart. The culture outside will tell you to follow your dreams, follow your own heart. But as the church, we know better. We're not to follow our own hearts. We're to follow the Father's heart. And his culture for us is to dream big dreams in the winter months. His heart is for us to dream about impossible things in the winter. His heart beats for you to dream of insurmountable odds. The things that can only be accomplished through and by his favor resting upon your life and with the help of others. Always with the help of others. And that's the way, on a side note, that you can discern whether that dream comes from the Father or it doesn't. The way to discern whether the Lord is speaking to you or not, you can be sure that if that thing seems impossible for you to do alone, that dream comes from the Father. His dreams for our city are the ones we cannot accomplish in our own strength. It's going to be too big for you alone. And for some of you, that's frustrating. Let go. Let go. We need one another. The winter is the perfect time for our souls to ask, God, what are your plans for my life? God, what might you be saying to our city in these coming months and years? You know, it's amazing what we'll hear in prayer if we simply ask a question and stop talking. Now, I'm not saying that there's no place for intercession or asking. I'm just saying that God has things he wants to speak to you. It's not a monologue. Prayer is not a monologue. He's got things he wants to say to you in the winter months. He's got you where he wants you. He finally has your attention because it's cold and you can't go outside. You're bundled up in his presence. See the winter, in the winter you have no other option but to hear his voice and leave. If you don't hear his voice, you'll die in the winter months. You find the only way to keep alive in the winter is by hearing from him. He says that in him, in his voice, we live and we move and we have our being it's the only way to truly find life, listening to Jesus' voice, hearing and hearing again, because we leak, hearing and hearing again. It's not by doing, it's by hearing. It's by hearing and listening to his voice because he's the way and he's the life and he not only tells us the truth, but he is the truth. And for some of us this morning, that's scary. What if I slowed down? enough to actually listen to what he would say. What would he say? Is he mad at me? Does he still like me? We have these questions and we skim over them and choose not to slow down and go about our days and we miss out on an opportunity 
to hear not only the Father's affirmation over our lives, but over the lives of those in our city. Do you know that there are dreams the Father has for greater Cleveland that he wants to release through you? There are, great, there are certain things in greater Cleveland that no one else but you can usher in. Now what I'm not saying, I'm not saying this in the vein of, I'm so special, the party's not going to happen without me being there. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the Father loves you. And you do play a part in rewriting the story of the city of Cleveland. You're not just some nameless face in a crowd or a number or statistic to be known as another Clevelander who lives under the city's tired story that's been passed down through decade after decade. That's not who you are. You're a son or a daughter of the living God. You're dearly loved. And you're set apart from the creation of time itself. He thought of you when he formed the earth. And he's got a unique destiny to usher in through you to the city of Cleveland. Through his favor and his goodness in a way that only you can. And the funny thing is, is that once you hear the Father's word over your life, once you hear the Father's word over your, your life, you discover that the truth is that you don't slow down to listen to his voice in order to seek his favor. You slow down to listen to his voice from a place of favor. You're already loved. You're already chosen. You have all of the favor on your life that you need to usher in the thing that you're supposed to usher in. It's not a waste of your time. God's going to give you all the time you need to be everything that he's called you to be. And any voice that tells you differently comes from the camp of the enemy because that's a voice of fear and a voice of worry. The voice that tells you you're not going to live enough years to usher in the change you want to see in your community. That's the voice of fear and that does not belong to the camp of Jesus. That sounds like the accuser of the brethren. You're not going to have enough time. Why would you want to slow down you don't have time to slow down. You got to do stuff. You got to do stuff, do stuff, do stuff for God. Does that really sound like the Father's heart? No, that voice is the voice of fear and introduces insecurity to your soul. Not the Father's heart who loves you and always has time for you and always listens. So it's not about what you do for him, but it simply becomes about hearing that he loves you. And he'll make sure those dreams he spoke to you in the winter, in the secret, will come to pass in his time and in his way. And as you delight yourself in the Lord, you just watch him shape the desires of your heart. Your desires will shift. The desires of your heart will start to line up with his desires for Cleveland. As you delight yourself in the Lord, you'll begin to find your desire to feed the hungry will increase. As you delight yourself in the Lord, you begin to find your hunger to see injustices made right grow. As we delight ourselves in the Lord Jesus, we will begin to see our capacity to care for the least and the last and the lost multiply right before our eyes. As we fix our eyes upon Jesus and wait and listen for his voice, his dreams in us become the reality of the city around us. 
You notice the common thread there is turning our eyes, turning our eyes. So sick of focusing on Lent and focusing on my sin. Me, 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 me. It's not me-centered. It's Christ-centered. Get your eyes off of yourself and fix them up on the cross because Jesus has things that he wants to do in the city and he's got things he wants to do in the city that he can only do through you. That's the truth. The more we focus on Jesus, the less our eyes are on ourselves. And that's a freeing thing. As we fix our eyes on Jesus and wait and listen to hear his voice, his dreams become the reality of the city around us. And in Daniel 2.21, we read, he changes times and seasons. He changes them. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Wow. I just felt a huge burden lift off of my shoulders, didn't you? To know that those dreams that he spoke to you in winter don't depend upon you to become reality. That's so freeing, isn't it? To know that Jesus, hmm, it's so freeing. It's liberating to know that it doesn't all depend on you. It doesn't depend on you. It's not about you. Oh, enlightenment to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It's not about you. Come on. It's about bringing life to the city. And that rests with partnering with Jesus, lining up with his desires for the city. That's freeing. To know that the power to make godly dreams reality rests in Jesus' hands and not in ours. We simply become the amen to heaven's culture that's already coming. And watch as God uses us to transform the culture around us. How many times have people from Healing on the Streets stood up here and said, all you got to do is show up. It sounds like boring and like uninspiring. God's looking for the available. All we did was show up and watch. Man, that takes like 20 equipping classes and empowering classes. (laughs) Just showing up. Just show up. And believing that Jesus wants to shape the culture around you more than you want to see it shift. Mm, That was really good too. He wants to see it more than you do. Okay, and now we're caught up, finally. The late winter, here we are. We're moving into late winter and into early spring. Let's take a look at Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. And do this, Paul writes, understanding the present time. Understanding the present time. See, sons and daughters understand the present time. Sons and daughters know something shifting in the culture. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You see the clothing that's happening again here. 
Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Late winter and early springs are times when things are beginning to wake up. There's life stirring and germinating beneath the surface. So far, the crocuses have have always come up. The crocuses come up through the snow, and the snow begins to melt. The alarm clock is getting ready to go off. The dreaming is coming to an end, and there's an excitement in the air. Soon the birds will make their migratory journey back to us here in the Midwest. It's almost time to, to till the soil and plant the seeds. It's the late winter. Wake up. There's something of hope that arises after a God-given dream. He uses the winter to strip us of all of our insecurities, to take from our hands anything that's unnecessary or not needed for the season to come. Last year's growth is a mere memory. It can't sustain us in the new season. That fruit's already been pressed into wine. There's a quickening happening in our spirits that the night of winter is almost over and the day is nearer. If we've dreamed well, you know you can dream well. There's a way to dream well. There's a way to handle your heart in the winter months to dream well. If you've dreamed well, if you've truly rested well, you've enjoyed the journey, it's not really about the destination arriving into some self-actualization, becoming who you really are. That's not what it's about. It's simply about delighting yourself in the Lord that's going to give you the fuel you need to plant the seeds he's calling you to plant in the coming months of spring and later to enjoy the harvest come autumn. Late winter is a time to realize that all of the snow and all of the ice and all of the cold were for a purpose. That time of solitude and emptying, that time of loss and grieving, that time of resting, it was all for a plan. It was to get us closer to hear the Father's heart, and that actually fills us with hope and expectation. The winter months are almost over. We're beginning to think, if God could do that, what couldn't God do? Hope begins to stir in our souls after we receive a godly dream. Lent is this way for the followers of Jesus. If you claim Jesus, this is the way Lent should be for you. It's not a focus on our own sin. How tired is that? How played out is that? David said said of his own sin, I know it. It's ever before me. How tiring is that? It's not a time to focus on our own sin, to be sorrowful. And repentance, it's a time for us to fix our eyes again upon the subject and the hope of Easter. The late winter and the early spring of life is about expectation and what God is getting ready to do in the future. Midwinter, dreaming, reflection, past, dreaming, envisioning, future. It's the old phrase you may have heard before it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's a time for us to turn our attention to Jesus. It's about how he endured suffering. 
It's about how Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he was perfect and without sin. Lent is about how Jesus endured the lies that were told about him and still became victorious. Lent is about how Jesus fixed his eyes like flint upon the city of Jerusalem, knowing that the cross was the joy that was set before him. Lent is about how Jesus endured the betrayal of one of his closest friends. Lent is about how he sweat drops of blood because he was so much like us, he didn't know if he had the strength to drink the cup that was offered to him. And still he said, not my will, but yours be done. Lent is about how they laid a crown of thorns on his head and smashed it down while mocking and laughing and spitting upon him, saying he saved others, but he won't and can't save himself. Let him come down from the cross. Lent is about how they shoved a spear into his side and blood and water flowed. Lent is about how he became punishment for us and in love. He told the thief next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Lent is about the tombs bursting open and the earthquakes rumbling and the temple veil being torn in two from the top to the bottom, giving us access to the most holy place, friendship with God. That's what Lent's about. Lent's about how Jesus said, it's finished. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father, willfully committing his spirit to his Father's care. And Lent is about the glory of his resurrection. When Jesus, at just the right time, set into motion the end of all things unjust by being raised to life on the third day, conquering death and saying in this one sacrificial act of grace, oh death. You've been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting now? Oh, death, where is your victory? You've been swallowed up. Lent is about where we're headed. Lent is about where we're headed, and that's toward a living Savior, Jesus Christ. We're headed to the hope and the promise of Easter. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, the rightful ruler over all the earth, the compassionate king above all other kings, the lion-like lamb who took away the sins of the world, and the lamb-like lion of the tribe of Judah, the king who gave up everything to bring his sons and daughters back to life. Come on, the risen king. That's what Lent and Easter are all about. Why don't you join me in standing?